to um, our uh, series. We're continuing to look at the Gospel of Mark. We will be in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35 this morning. How many of you love the water? How many of you are afraid of the water? You have water phobias, you, you can't swim or are afraid of what might happen. Okay, so I love water, I love to swim. Teresa loves to swim as long as it's in a pool. If it's in the, the, a, a lake, she's afraid that Nessie might get her. I'm not for sure. But like she, she I, I remember we were, we were swimming in the reservoir back in Ohio and, and I had, <laughs> she was scared to death. I got kicked in the face because I went down and tickled her foot and she thought a fish was getting her and yeah, I got kicked in the, foot, or in the face on that one. But uh, I, now for me, I, how many of you like cruises? Y'all are crazy. You've seen Titanic, right? Well, but what about, you know, going to the Caribbean? There's sharks, okay? Like for me, no thanks. Open water like that in the ocean, that, that's just not for me. Well, we're going to read about a story here this morning where we have the disciples going out on the water. Now, we know at least four of these disciples were fishermen, and they're still scared. Now, that tells us something right there, okay? And we're going to find a little aquaphobia here as we look at Mark chapter 4 and really break that down. So we're going to climb in the boat with Jesus as he takes the disciples to the other side. Now Jesus obviously has some plans for his disciples that they don't know about. And so we're going to break those five truths down uh, for us as modern day disciples. So let's break these down. The first one, his plan may be puzzling. Actually, his plan will be puzzling to all of us. Even if we read the scriptures, even if we know God's word, there's going to be parts of it that we're going to go, really? That, that happened? Like, are you, are you sure about that? There's certain scriptures that we kind of struggle with, and, and there's certain things that Jesus does, and we go, I don't know about that. Now, last week we learned that uh, in the parable of the different soils, their crowds were so huge. I, I mean, massive crowds um, that some people think that there could have been up to 10,000 people listening to Jesus preach. And because there were so many people, Jesus got into a boat. There was a natural amphitheater of the water and the hill behind them. So Jesus sat in the boat and he preached to all of these people and he taught in these parables. Now, after it was over, we read this in, in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Now, I wrote down some quick reasons um, why I think Jesus may have wanted to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. The first one, it was time to escape. Jesus has been preaching. He has been teaching. He has been walking. He's worn out. I mean, we all go through those times. And, and this is the awesome thing that we know about Jesus to show that he was fully human. Even Jesus got tired. Even Jesus got worn out. There were times that he just needed to get away. I, I'm a people person. If you didn't know that about me, I'm kind of, I'm a little outgoing. Um, I, I, get, I get filled with joy being around people and sharing with people. But there's even times in my life where I'm just like shut down. And I just need to recuperate and bring some of that energy back in. 
he also wanted to free a man in bondage. We're, we'll talk about that one later. And he wanted to continue to teach and train the disciples. And in order to do that, he needed to get away. Okay, to be able to focus in on just those 12, which he needed to do, because remember, Jesus is only going to be in his ministry for three and a half years. So he has to take every moment that he can with those 12 disciples and really just pour into them. And so that's what we really see happening right here. Now, I want us to focus on, on the last part uh, of this verse, but to give a little bit of background, while the Sea of Galilee is mentioned 53 times in the Gospels, and it is the setting and the backdrop for many of the stories and the, the miracles that Jesus is going to perform, most of his ministry, two-thirds of his ministry, is going to happen around this Sea of Galilee, and even in one little corner of the Sea of Galilee. But as we look through this, we hardly ever hear that Jesus goes to the other side. Well, why was that? Why was it that Jesus didn't really go to the other side? Well, here's the thing. On the other side of the lake, um, that's where the Gentiles lived. Okay, and that's where all of the trouble and the pain and all of that came from. And, and the Jewish people would do everything they could to avoid going where Gentiles were. They wanted to stay in their little holy huddle. Do we ever find us doing that as Christians? Why? Well, I'm now a Christian, so I have to leave my life behind, and, and I shouldn't spend any time with non-Christians. Man, if that was the case, how did you come to know Jesus? Like, we have to make sure that we're continuing to engage at all times. Now, the pagan people that lived on the other side, they, they, uh, it was commonly believed that even the devil himself made his dwelling in and amongst them as well. The other side was unsettling and, and uncertain, so they'd rather just stay away. There's certain things that we don't want to know. I mean, you know, there, there's times that we're like, well, if I don't look in my bank account... I won't realize there's no money there, so I just won't look. And then you realize, well, not only is there no money there, there's a negative balance, and then you're really in trouble. You know, like, I've, I've tried to really um, put that into, instill that into my kids. You have to watch where your money's going, because if you don't, it will be gone. And, and the same thing is here. Well, if we don't acknowledge they're there, then they really don't exist. So we'll just stay in our little huddle. Now, as I thought about all of this, I think it applies to God's calling here at Stafford County Christian Church as well. We're called, obviously, to follow Jesus, even when it doesn't make sense. And the disciples, that's exactly what they did. They listened to what Jesus said. Incidentally, this is not a suggestion that Jesus says, hey, um, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. In, in Matthew chapter 8, verse 18, it says, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. It wasn't like, hey guys, what do you think? <laughs> nope, we're going. Like, now it's time to leave and go to the other side. The disciples don't hesitate either. They said, okay. And they jump in the boat and they go with Jesus. And, and that's what they do. We see this in verse 36. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. They took Jesus as he was. Do you know what this tells us? They didn't make provisions. 
It wasn't like, oh, um, let's go put our house in order. Let's make sure everything is tidy. Let's make sure we have enough food and all of this for the journey. Jesus says, hey, let's go. And they left. They went immediately. They took Jesus. He was sitting in the boat and they immediately crossed over uh, to the other side. Their resolve, though, is about to be tested. I mean, we see that they're ready to go. Okay, it's time to go to the other side. Let's go, Jesus. But now the resolve is really going to come up. And, and that's number two. His plan often includes problems. When you decide you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be problems. And we really have to make sure that we understand that. Again, a little bit of background here. When, when we really understand this, the Sea of Galilee, as I have said, is more like a lake. Um, at, at its uh, longest it's 13 miles at its widest it's 18 miles wide it's the lowest freshwater lake in the world and it is known for its severe storms what would happen is the the wind would come over the top of mount herman snow-capped mount herman it's warm down here lowest lake cold air comes down and whips down over the mountain and as it comes down severe storms would just come up explosive thunderstorms gale force winds this last week, uh, late at night, couldn't sleep. I was watching. Actually, um, I actually stay up later than Teresa, and I let her go to sleep, so I watch dumb shows just to put myself to sleep. But I have to let her get to sleep, otherwise I get kicked all night because I snore, I guess. I, I don't hear myself. That's just what she tells me. But I was watching one of the shows on, I think it was the Discovery Channel, and, and watching this, um, there, there's a place called the Nevada Triangle. Anybody heard of the Nevada Triangle? is where the aliens are, okay? So if you didn't know, that's where the, no. Um, we have the Bermuda Triangle. Well, in the Nevada Triangle, there is a, a just a boneyard of planes that have crashed. And one of these men that had crashed his plane, he was an excellent top-notch pilot. He was the first one to circumnavigate uh, the world in one flight. Well, he was making a trip, and all of a sudden, he went out of radio contact, and, and he was not to be found. And they searched, and they searched, and they searched, and finally, they found him in this, what was known as the Nevada Triangle. Well, what was it? Aliens took him? No, he crashed. Why did he crash? Well, what had happened was this wind, the cold wind, had come over the top of the Sierra Nevadas, and as it rushed down, he had flown into it. And it is said that that wind those gale force winds could reach 400 miles an hour. That, that would cause a plane to crash, right? Yeah. Well, that same type of a situation is what is happening that night. This wind whips over the top of Mount Hermon, and as it whips down, horrible thunderstorm comes up. And it was said that it is not uncommon for waves to be 10 to 12 feet high, when a storm comes up on the Sea of Galilee, sometimes reaching 20 feet. One co commentator says, the sea was known to swallow entire ships and gulp down people. Besides that, this lake is also known for having its own sea creature, and, and it is believed that this is uh, the place known for the Leviathan that Job talks about. So all of this is playing into their mind. There was truly awe when it came to this lake. So with all of that, let's look at Mark chapter four, verse 37. It says, a furious squaw came up 
and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now this word furious, it means megas, which refers to something being huge, similar to what we could see as even a hurricane. Water's filling up the boat. Waves are spilling over the side. The boat is nearly swamped. Luke 8, 23 adds, they were in great danger. Friends, I want to point out to you, Jesus was in the boat with them. Jesus sent them into the boat knowing that this storm was going to come up. In order to get to the other side, listen, they had to go through a storm. We sang that song at the very beginning, In the Eye of the Storm, I will know you are in control. God, you are my anchor for my soul. I mean, we need to really understand that in order to get to the other side, in order to do what Jesus has called us to do, sometimes we have to pass through storms. We will have to pass through storms. We have to make sure that we are always understanding that. And, and don't think that just because you're going through some choppy seas that, that God is, is somehow punishing you for being disobedient. No doubt God does send some storms into our lives to get our attention. And we have to understand that. However, it doesn't mean that that's always what is happening. No doubt God does send some storms. He did it with Jonah, right? He sent a storm to really get Jonah's attention. Even then, it was in the belly of the fish that he had to get his attention again. And then even once he did go to Nineveh, he still had to get his attention even more. But in all of that, he was sending Jonah on a mission and he was sending the disciples to the other side on a mission. And when storms come up, listen, they're sometimes very sudden. We may not see them coming. They come in a split second, seemingly out of nowhere, and all it takes is, is one simple phone call from a doctor, right? We've been there, right? A job loss, a relational rupture of, of any kind. And the storms just pop up out of anywhere. They can also be extremely severe. They're sudden, they're severe, and they're surprising. I'm often surprised when a storm hits, but I shouldn't be. This is what we read, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised. Why was I surprised? I wasn't looking for them. But Peter tells us, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. It's going to happen, and we, we, we can prepare the best that we possibly can for any situation, any scenario, but we will always be caught off guard because we're not expecting it to happen. In his book, uh, The Pressure's Off, Larry Crabb argues that God is not a vending machine dispensing blessings as a re reward for our good behavior. We need to reject a faith that is filled with the formula that says, if I do A, then God will do B. Crabb proposes that while we can't always make life work like we want, we can always draw near to God. That is what we have to make sure that we're focusing on. If Jesus is who he says he is, then we have absolutely nothing to fear. 
his plans for us may be puzzling, and they often include problems, but they also come, number three, with his presence. His plan comes with his presence. Where is Jesus when this storm comes? He's taking a power nap. Jesus is sound asleep. Look, verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. We see here a picture of Jesus' humanity. Again, worn out, tired, but also, why is he able to sleep? Because he is God, and he is in complete control, and he knows that his heavenly Father is in complete control. He is peaceful, even though there are problems taking place. Man, this verse has spoken so much to me this last week even as much as in the last 24 hours. God, I don't know how I'm going to handle this situation, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And he says, shh. We're going to come to that verse here in just a second. Jesus is in complete control in your life. We just have to be willing to see it. Now, this storm had to be one major storm for this to happen, Again, we know that at least four of these disciples that are in the boat are, are fishermen. John MacArthur points out that it's a dark day when sailors call on a carpenter in this situation. The disciples are totally undone. So what do they do? They wake up Jesus. They wake him up and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now before we get too hard on these disciples... Don't we often do the same thing when it comes to God? God doesn't do what we want, so we get scared to death and we start questioning God. Where were you when this happened and why haven't you been here? It's common to attack God's character when bad things happen in our lives. While we're taking on some water and we're sinking, the waves of worry are just coming in, sometimes we feel that God is just often asleep in our life. Where are you, God? He says, I'm, I'm here. I'm in control. I, I know that you're in the midst of a horrible situation, but just realize that I'm here with you and I have never left you. But I mean, we get in such a way that we're like, I mean, we want to question God. But here's the thing. Don't get too hard on the disciples. Don't get too hard on yourself in those situations. Psalm chapter 44, verse 23, verse 23 says, Awake, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. I mean, we feel that way, right? I, mean, we, I feel that way in my own life. That, that I want... My anxiety kicks in, and I'm worried, and I'm wondering, God, how are you, you going to bring us through this pandemic? What's going to happen? I, I don't know if we're going to meet our finances, and, and I don't know what's going to happen with my kids and, and being in school, and, and they're, they're really struggling. And, and I, everything kicks in, and we get so worried. So don't get too hard on those disciples. We really like to do that, right? Well, if I would have been there, I would have. Come on now. You weren't there, so be careful and don't be too hard on them. And when my anxiety kicks up, 
and I start getting worried and I see my daughters doing the same exact thing as they're struggling with it, I always go back to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 20, or verse 5, uh, sorry, 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Give it up to God because he's got you every step of the way. It is only in the storm that we understand who Jesus really is. If everything went perfect, if everything just went calm and easy, we would have no reason to question. We would have no reason to really put our faith to the test, to really see where we stand. It's in the midst of the storm that we really understand that. Number four, his plan demonstrates his power. I love how Jesus slept through the storm, but as soon as his children wake up, he's right there with them, right? Verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. And I can almost see, like Jesus is hangry, I think, at this moment. He's tired, he's worn out, he's hungry. We've been there, right? Like we, stop. Uh, the dogs are barking for no reason. That's enough. And they don't always listen to us, right? This storm immediately listens to Jesus. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't answer their question directly, right? Uh, what's going on, Jesus? Aren't you afraid we're going to drown? He doesn't even answer them. He, he's, oh my goodness, here we go again. You know, have you not seen my power? Quiet, be still. And I think while he was talking to the wind of the waves, he was probably talking to those 12 guys as well. Like, come on, don't you know who I am? I, but he calms that storm. So awesome to see. And there's a true demonstration in his power. And, and ultimately, that's what those disciples needed at that moment. They needed to see that demonstration of the power. They've already seen some pretty amazing things that Jesus has done, but in this moment, they needed to see that power. Hey, what a picture that we see. When he stood up, all of the forces of nature took notice. What he creates, listen, what he creates, he controls. Never forget that. When he rebuked the wind and the waves, those forces bowed down to him. The phrase that Jesus uses means to be muzzled and to remain so. Like, there, no more storms right now. Like, that's enough. The phrase Jesus uses really just he has the power over the, the disease of sin in our life. Enough. He can set us free from whatever it is in our life. We just have to give it up to him. Mark is showing us Jesus' power over diseases, over diseases, uh, over demons, over the deep. Psalm 89 verse 9 says, You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. With the word, Jesus muzzled a windstorm. Stopped millions of gallons of water from moving in instantly. 
There's really two miracles happening here. First, the wind and the waves completely stop. Second, he stilled the water. I mean, we've seen storms stop, right? Storms will stop. And if you've ever been out on the water, well, we've been out on, uh, we, we, we love to go up to Lake Erie and go fishing. And, and we've seen storms come through and be absolutely horrible. And then, I, I mean, there's three, four, five, six foot waves just crashing around. And all of a sudden, the, 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 the wind stops and, and the storm stops. But the sea, the lake, is still raging. Wind Everything, everything stopped, but yet you see all of these waves kicking up out of nowhere. This situation, the water stopped completely and immediately. Number five, his plan always has a purpose. The, the greatest storm was not on the Sea of Galilee that night. It was actually in the disciples' souls. The last two verses of Mark chapter 4 give three purposes behind God's plan for us. Number one, to deal with our fear. After rebuking the storm, Jesus rebukes the disciples by asking two questions in verse 40. The first one was, why are you so afraid? That, That word there means to be timid. You're with me. You've seen what I've done. Why are you still afraid? Let me ask you today, what are you afraid of? What still, what, what still comes to mind? How many of you have seen uh, the movie The Replacements with Keanu Reeves? Yeah, Rem- remember when they're in the meeting and, and he writes the word fear? And, or I, I think his name's Orlando. He says, spiders. You know, and everybody's like, Spiders, oh yeah, I hate spiders, oh I hate spiders, and you know, no, 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 that's not really what we're talking about. And one of them says going back to jail, one of them says going back to the supermarket, and they really got into their fears. We're scared of snakes and spiders and and the sea and all of that, but in your life, deep down, what fears do you have to give over to the Lord today? The presence of fear can indicate an absence of faith because fear and faith are incompatible. And some of you are saying, Travis, are you saying I don't have faith? No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, but allow that fear to work itself out. That's where faith really comes in. When we see it dealing And that's the second thing that we see here. What we see is that Jesus wants to deal with the fear and to grow our faith. He says, second question, do you still have no faith? Fear can fillet our faith, and faith can force out our fears if we allow it to. We can stay locked in our fears We have to give it to God, and when we have that faith and when we trust in him, we will overcome those fears. And it's not like all of a sudden we're going to go from, I don't know who Jesus is, to being the the top most mature Christian ever. No, there are rungs to that ladder. And there's, excuse me, going to be fears that we're going to have to overcome 
each step of the way as we grow in our faith. The biggest issue is not that Jesus stopped the storm, but that he couldn't find their faith. That's, that's really what Jesus wanted to hone in here. They needed to see his power, and through that power, they were able to find their faith. Number three, it was to increase our awe. After Jesus asks these two questions, the disciples are very unsettled. And they turned to one another, verse 41, and they asked, they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. You've heard of the calm before the storm, but this is the calm after the storm. The sea is at rest, but the disciples, they're all churned up. I mean, this storm made them afraid, but the power of Christ made them petrified. This word literally means they feared a great fear, to be stricken with awe and amazement in the presence of one greater than self. You know, with deity on full display, they are twice as terrified after the storm. One translation says, what manner of man is this? This was something that these men had never experienced before. Not in their own personal lives. Even Peter, Peter has seen the power even in his mother-in-law being healed, right? But he had never seen the, the power and the display on in his, going on in his own life at this moment. They're churned up and they're trying to figure this out and they're, they're kind of terrified of Jesus, I think, at this moment. They really have to wrestle with who Jesus is. And that's exactly what Peter said on, on one occasion when Jesus filled the nets with so many fish that it began to sink the boat. We read, when Simon saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. The woman who was healed by touching Jesus' garment had a similar response. Mark chapter 5, verse 33 then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years. She had been to many physicians. She had done everything that she possibly could, but she couldn't be healed. And her faith said, if I can just get close enough, if I can just touch Jesus' garment, I can be healed. And when doing that, it says that he felt, he felt the power go out of him. And he immediately turned around and said, who touched me? And the disciple says, really, Jesus? There's like a hundred people right, right here trying to push up on you, and you want to know one person? He says, no, I felt the power go out. And then here's the woman, full of fear, right? She's, now, she's been healed. <gasps> um... And he, he wants to know what's going on. It was fear, but at the same time, she said, ah, if I can just get close enough, if I can just get close to Jesus. I, I wonder if we've overemphasized Jesus by being our friend at the expense of losing our fear of him. We love to think of Jesus as just, hey, he's my buddy. 
I'm going to hang with Jesus. Uh, songs, country music songs came out a long time ago. If I could have a beer with Jesus. And, and, I don't know. Maybe wine, but no. We, we want to see Jesus as being my buddy. Okay, and, and here's the thing. He wants a relationship with us. He wants to be close with us. But there still has to be this fear and awe of who Jesus really is. Okay, and we have to remember that. We have to remember the power that he has. So let's bring all of this together with some life, life lessons. The first life lesson that we have to understand is that Christ cares for you and can help you in any crisis that you have. Jesus cares for you. No matter how big or how small your crisis might be, he will be there for you. You may go, oh, that's not big enough to take before Jesus. Oh, that's too big. Jesus can't handle this one. It doesn't matter. He's there for you every step of the way. This incident reveals both the humanity and the deity of who Jesus is. He fell asleep in the, 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 the stern of the boat. That's his humanity. He spoke in the storm, was completely calm. That's his deity. He can understand anything that you deal with. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 through 16. For we do not have a high priest who was unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may, have, we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a high priest, and we need that. But we also have one that fully understands every side of our humanity, and we need that as well. Secondly, Christ is in complete control of everything. You can never catch God off guard. You can never do anything that God goes, didn't see that one coming, Matt. Like, he, he may see if I ever started rooting for Michigan, he'd be like, oh, didn't see that one. You know, but right here, right here. No, we can never do anything to catch God off guard. And we have to always remember that. We don't know what's coming, but Jesus does. He's good. He is great. He has a plan. All we have to do is trust in that. Psalm 121 verses 3 through 4 says, He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He is in control, and please never forget that. If you're going through a storm, it's best to have Jesus in the boat with you. Don't try to go at it alone. Too many times we go, I've got this, and then we find ourselves sinking. It's better to have Jesus in the boat. 
knowing that the boat will never sink when the Savior is in it with you. It doesn't matter what storm comes. It doesn't matter if the waves are crashing over. Jesus is with you. He will carry you through that storm. Never forget that. Jesus won't always calm the storm, but he will calm you. The Apostle Paul went through a terrible storm in Acts chapter 27. He may not have calmed the storm. The boat was completely destroyed. They kind of floated on the pieces of the boat as they got to safety. And that's what we always have to remember. The storm that you're in right now, he may not calm it. But he will calm your soul if you will allow him to do so. Here's the thing. It's up to us to surrender to him. We've come to that part of the service where it's time to make that decision in your life. If you just need to surrender control of your entire life and accept him as your Lord and Savior, you can make that decision this morning. Maybe there's one part of your life that you just haven't given up to him. There's a storm that is raging inside of you and you need prayer in your life. You need someone just to talk with I'm going to be back in the back, and the elders will be in the back with me. We'd love to talk with you to help you through that, whatever it is. If you're here and you say, hey, I'll, I want to make this my home church. Yeah, I'm ready to make that commitment to say, hey, I want to serve right here at Stafford County Christian Church. You can make that commitment as well. I, I've, I've got a scripture for us. Uh, it comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read this and I'm going to pray for us as we take communion. If you haven't received your communion, it's on the back tables. It's on the side. You can can get that at any point right now. This is what Paul says. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we take this bread and this juice, lay all of those burdens before the feet of the cross the sins of this past week lay it before Jesus he gave his life for you he was fully human and he was fully God all at the same time please never forget that let's pray almighty father I thank you that we can come into your house lord that we can watch you online Lord, that whatever is going on in our life, the storms that that come up in our life, that you will help calm them, that you will calm our souls, that you will help us through our times of need. Father, as, as, as we have come to the end of our service, as we've come to the end of worship, as we sing one final song, as we take communion, 
there is anything that we need to lay at the foot of the cross, if we need prayer, if we need to give our life over to you, if we need to, to offer our membership right here, that we will take whatever step it is in faith to continue our growth. We pray this in your son's most holy and precious name.